Uh, if you would turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy 4, verse 1 through verse 8. So, So hear now the word of the Lord. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions And will turn away from listening to the truth and will wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Amen. Well, for those who were here for Ryan Heaton's uh, ordination service back in in February, uh, this is going to be a bit of a repeat for you. I didn't feel the need to redo a totally different sermon, or neglect the passage. Uh, I have revised it a little bit and expanded it a little bit, but if it sounds familiar to you, uh, that's no surprise if you've heard it before. And for those that weren't there, you you get to hear it for the very first time. Uh, We have a, a charge to Timothy that Paul is giving, and as we've reflected, we're Reminded again that these are the final words of Paul, the final written words of Paul. Uh, We have talked about that, but we have the confirmation of it in this section in verse 6. I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. So Paul had labored. Uh, He's in his second Roman imprisonment, and more than likely due to be executed any, any day. Uh, there may be a little bit of time because in the next section, which we'll get to next week, there are people he's going to want to come and see him. That's going to take some months for them to get there. So it probably isn't going to happen like tomorrow, but it's probably the next thing on his major thing on his horizon. And so he's giving these final words to Timothy and the final words of someone uh, are significant and meaningful cause us to really reflect on that. And there are five elements in this passage, in these eight verses, all that begin with the letter C. And uh, the first one, and and the first one is the longest point. uh, And it's the charge that was given to Timothy, where Paul says to him, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. 
And the word charge has kind of some legal overtones. It's a very significant and solemn thing. It, the word itself includes the, um, the, the word for witness, um, the word for martyr. Uh, Timothy is to bear witness or, uh, that to what Paul is uh, authorizing him to do or charging him to do. And so there, it's, it's a, a serious and urgent exhortation that Paul has given to Timothy. It's very interesting. The very same word is used with the, in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man, remember, was in hell and Lazarus was in the bosom of Abraham. And he'd asked for Abraham to send some water down to him, but there's this gulf between them. So the rich man says to Abraham, uh, I beg you, father, to send uh, him, Lazarus, to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. <clears throat> so the warning is a solemn uh, desire of the rich man that Lazarus go back and <clears throat> he, he gives them that solemn warning. And that's what Tim, Paul's doing to Timothy. I'm solemnly warning you or charging you to do a certain thing. Well, there are four things that underscore the serious nature of his charge. And we see those also in verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. So we know we're always in the presence of God here. He's reminding him of that. That I'm charging you with God as my witness, with God before the very eye of God. So you have the unity of the Godhead there. Um, the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. The following phrases have reference particularly to the work Christ will be doing that makes this charge so solemn and uh, serious. In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead. So that's a role that the Father had given to Jesus, that he would judge the living and the dead. And you are familiar with that phrase because we used it this morning in the Apostles' Creed. Uh, he will come to judge the living and the dead. It's in the Apostles' Creed. It's in the Nicene Creed. That's the task that Jesus will do. It gives, a, again, a very solemn nature to this charge uh, because of the accountability be, before Jesus Christ. And in view of his appearing or by his appearing, uh, here is the, the, the idea that Jesus will return. And in view of his return and what he's going to do on that return in judging the living and the dead... This charge, the solemn nature of it is kind of underscored and emphasized and in view of his kingdom. Now, we know that we reflected on uh, Jesus kingdom. There's, there's a kingdom that's present now uh, when we went through the, the Lord's Prayer and we asked the children, what are we pray, praying for in that second petition? That the gospel may be preached in all the world and believed and obeyed by us and all men. So we have that uh, aspect of the kingdom. But tying it together with his appearing, uh, more than likely what Paul has in mind here is the, the kingdom of glory that will come.
uh, when Jesus returns again, the kingdom of glory will be inaugurated and we will all be ushered, all believers will be ushered into that. So we have here these four elements that make the, the serious and solemn nature of this charge very, very significant. And Timothy, as a minister of the gospel, has to carry out his duties with that sense of seriousness and accountability to God. Uh, It's, of course, tempting and kind of an appeal to please your congregations. Uh, They obviously pay your salary, so it's good to make them happy. But at the same time, the solemnness of the uh, charge helps Timothy to appreciate that he's not accountable to people, he's accountable to God, first and foremost. So turn, if you would, to Hebrews thirteen seventeen. It's another reflection of this accountability. In uh, Hebrews chapter 13, there's several comments here about church members' response to their leaders. But in Hebrews 13, 17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Uh, The pastors and elders of the church are uh, accountable to God for the way they conduct their ministry. It always surprises me. Maybe I shouldn't be, I don't know. It always surprises me when a minister is fairly flippant about his responsibility. I don't mean he has to be a a morose, mean person, but to just kind of dance along uh, just doesn't make any... Well, clearly they haven't read this passage. Because if you read this passage, you just can't be flippant about your responsibility. It's, there's, a, there's a soberness to it that's very significant. And then uh, you're at Hebrews. Just turn next to the next book, James chapter 3, verse 1. <clears throat> he says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So there's an accountability that Paul is reminding Timothy about. And it's a great privilege to be a minister and a great privilege to be a preacher. Uh, And uh, there's a great deal of joy in that, but it's a serious accountability. And Timothy needs to remember that as he's going to carry out this charge. We haven't gotten to the charge yet, I charge you with these serious elements. The charge is coming soon. Um, And you might say, well, what does that have to do with me? I'm just a member of the church. Well, it actually has a lot to do with you. Uh, Because while it's it's directed primarily to Timothy, it certainly applies to him and to all elders and ministers and leaders of the church. You, as members of the church, are called to be hearers of the word and doers of the word. And so while the minister has an accountability, you, do, you, as, you have an accountability as well. 
Are you paying attention to the word of God when it's preached? Are you seeking to hear it, understand it, and apply it to your life? So you have a calling under that same umbrella of the solemn nature of the calling of the preacher. So then we come to the actual charge itself in verse 2. It's preach the word. That's, that's the charge. Timothy, before, in the sight of God, and in view of his kingdom, preach the word. So he has to, the, the word for preach there is the word for herald or to proclaim. He has to declare uh, the word, the, the, the message of God uh, as a, in ancient societies, a king as he was going forward into a community uh, a village, he would have his herald, herald his coming. Well, the, the preacher has to herald out um, not his own opinion, not, not what he thinks he needs to say. He needs to herald out the word, the word of God, preach the word of God. That has to be his focus. The sermon is not a talk on a religious topic. It's a message from God that's to be given to the people of God. And this is his charge. This is his responsibility that Timothy is being given by Paul uh, to proclaim and preach that word. And that word, of course, will have a primary focus on Christ and his work. Uh, J.I. Packer Writes the evangelical preacher will relate the specific content of all his messages to Christ, his mediation, his cross and resurrection, and his gift of new life to those who trust him. In that sense, the preacher will imitate Paul, who, when he visited Corinth, quote, resolved to know nothing uh, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Uh, this that does not mean, of course, that the evangelical preacher will harp all the time on the bare fact of the crucifixion. It means rather that he will use all the lines of biblical thought to illuminate the meaning of that fact, and he will never let his exposition get detached from Calvary's cross and the redemption that was wrought there. In this way, he will sustain a Christ-centered, cross-oriented preaching ministry with an evangelistic as well as a pastoral thrust. So preach the word, Timothy. He's already given some solemn solemn, uh, part of the exhortation, but now he's going to communicate how he's to carry out the charge. So he's kind of given a solemn context. He's given the charge. Now he's going to give him some description of how he's carrying out this charge of preaching the word. The first thing that he says is uh, be ready. There's a a readiness that also would come along with and communicate the idea of urgency that needs to be part of him. Richard Baxter, the wonderful Puritan preacher, made the comment that he preached as never sure to preach again as a dying man to dying men. There's an urgency in preaching the word faithfully because time is short. We don't know uh, what time we have. I need to be prepared uh, at a moment's notice to be able to communicate that. A friend of mine from seminary, uh, he would always carry a a sermon in his Bible. 
so that wherever he was, uh, if um, he needed to, he could be called on to preach at a moment's notice. There's a readiness to that. And again, it's because we don't know when, how much time we have. Uh, Jesus made this comment, as long as it is today, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. We need to be earnest. The minister needs to be earnest with his convictions. His preaching has to be serious and uh, filled with the word of God. Uh, That earnestness, again from Richard Baxter, let the people see that you are in good earnest. You cannot break men's hearts by jesting with them or telling them a smooth tale or patching up a gaudy oration. Men will not cast away their dearest pleasures upon a drowsy request of one that seemeth not to mean as he speaks or to care much whether his request be granted. So be ready, be instant, in season or out of season. Uh, Timothy needs to be ready to preach whether it's convenient or whether it's inconvenient. Uh, He needs to be ready to do that. It's It's not always convenient to uh, to preach. There are times when preaching is a great joy. And there are other times it's hard work. Uh, it's trying to pull together a text and, and reflect on it and put it together in hopefully some kind of understandable way. Uh, it's, it's a challenging work. And he needs to be instant uh, in, in constant in it in season or out of season. And then it needs to be, uh, to probably a better term, be a relevant and applicable uh, presentation of the word of God, preaching of the word. And you see in this uh, verse, uh, describing the character of his preaching in verse 2, parallel to what we read in 2 Timothy 3.16. So let me go back to there and then we'll come back to uh, 4 verse 2. So go to 316, 2 Timothy 316. We looked at this last week. All scripture is God-breathed and profitable. Remember those four things for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. uh, That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And you have some repetition of some of those terms here in Uh, how Timothy is to carry out his charge, uh, how he is to preach, what he's to do. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove. It's the same word that's in the 2 Timothy 3.16 to point out when people's behavior is wrong or maybe their thinking is wrong and they need to be corrected and you're having to reprove them. Uh, The second word in Second Timothy four two, reprove, rebuke. That's not in three sixteen. So the preacher, the two kind of parallel terms, but he needs to um, speak against uh, and condemn pe- the the wrong thinking or the wrong acting of people. Uh, it's not that he has to be a judgmental person, but he needs to be ready and willing to correct uh, the wrongdoing. So reprove, rebuke, and the ESV has exhort, but that's really missing 
what Paul is telling him here. This word also is not in 316. It's not the word exhort. I mean, I suppose it could be translated that way, but it's the word encourage. So while you may need to rebuke a person, you also need to come alongside and rebuke and, and encourage them. And it's the word paraclete. It's the, the word that's used of the Holy Spirit. He's the paraclete, the one who comes alongside. It's used of Christ in 1 John 2. <clears throat> He's the one that stands beside us for our defense. And so the preacher has to come alongside his hearers to encourage them. You can't just beat people down. Uh, sometimes we need to be corrected, and that's an appropriate part of preaching. But we also need to be built up. We need to be encouraged. We need to be uh, strengthened in our walk with the Lord. We, we can't just be overwhelmed with the negative. We have to have someone who comes alongside of us. And he continues almost in that, with that same thought, you need to uh, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Teaching is in Second Timothy 3.16. You're instructing the people in the word. <clears throat> but that word for patient or great patience <clears throat> with complete patience uh, is really a, a neat little Greek word that kind of communicates we need to be have big passion or big compassion. Um, We never want to look at other people like they're somehow less than us or we don't take seriously whatever dilemma they're facing. Uh, The minister, for sure, has to be the one who has a, a big compassion which leads to patience. And that can be very hard uh, because you want change now. Well, you're not going to get change now in hardly any situation. It's going to take time. Uh, I mentioned this to you once before. It's uh, crucial for a minister, an elder, a leader of the church to have a long-range view of ministry. It's not that you're not trying to get them to change. I don't mean that. But it may take time. It may take time. And that's why some really wonderful theologians would make terrible pastors. Because they know the truth and they want you to change now. But that's not always going to happen. And... You need to bear with people and encourage them for a long period of time. And think about that with one another. Sometimes you've got to be patient, encouraging them, um, remembering how patient God is with you, then how patient should you be with others. So that's all point one. And here what? We're all... Not too far from the end. That, that's, that's the bulk of it is his charge. Uh, the seriousness of the charge, the way he's to carry it out is all a very significant part of uh, what Paul is exhorting uh, to Timothy. Uh, the second element, the second C, 
is the challenge of the charge. Why is this charge so hard? It's because, as you see in verse 3, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Uh, There is unfortunately in every age, and and ours is no different, people that have itching ears. They have certain things they want to hear. And it's hard when you get up and you prepare a message and you preach the message and uh, people don't want to hear it. William Hendrickson, a great commentator, said, In every period of history, there will be a season during which men refuse to listen to sound doctrine. As history continues onward toward the consummation, the situation, this situation grows worse. Men will not endure to tolerate the truth. And so they won't want you to preach to them, Timothy, but they'll accumulate to themselves teachers that will say what their itching ears want to hear. And um, they'll wander off away from the truth and wander off into myths. Just as a reminder, uh, turn to 1 Timothy 1, verse 3. This was something that has been, Paul has tried, been trying to keep in, on Timothy's radar all along. So 1 Timothy 1, verse 3. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. So you have the the danger, the warning, that there are going to be people who aren't going to want to listen. But Timothy needs to keep preaching no matter what. Uh, even if there are those who don't want to hear, he must never bend or abandon the message, the word of God. The word of God always needs to be foremost in his preaching. But this challenge is going to make it difficult at times. And he's going to have to bear with that. The third portion of our section The character, the third C, is the character of the preacher, which is what we see in verse 5. And he gives him four things about his character as a preacher. He says, as for you, always be sober-minded. The NIV, I like the way it translates it. Keep your head in all situations. When it's saying sober-minded, he's not thinking in terms of alcohol or He's, what he's thinking is in terms of a, uh, a calmer demeanor uh, where you keep yourself by God's grace under control. You may feel anxiety through every fiber of your being, uh, but you don't act on that. And you try not to communicate it. Um, there, there have been plenty of times that I've stood in the pulpit and I've been terrified. But by God's mercy, and I don't have an explanation for it, people say, well, I didn't, I didn't see that in you. 
And the minister has to get his strength from the Lord. And, um, and this is the, the idea of being sober-minded, calm and measured. Uh, you don't want to fly off the handle. <clears throat> because that's the way people need to be dealt with, calmly uh, and, and carefully. Especially in anxiety-filled situations. In the hospital or other places, you have minister has to be uh, sober-minded. Uh, the second element of his description is you need to endure suffering. It's not the part of the pleasant part of our Christian life or of a ministerial life, but there are times when you just have to endure uh, difficulty, and it may be suffering because you're preaching the truth. Uh, that's very likely possible, very likely what Paul is getting at. But the temptation to soften the word or to depart from the word, basically, Paul is saying, Timothy, don't do it. Be faithful. Stick with the word. Endure suffering. The third element is do the work of an evangelist. Minister needs to have a real burden for the souls of men and women, uh, that they would come to know the, the Lord. And it's part of his preaching. He's, his, his preaching, it has to be pointing people to the Lord. There, are, there was uh, in the early church apparently the office of an evangelist, and <clears throat> even our own form of government has a specific role for evangelists in the life and ministry of the church. A uh, passage we read this morning, Jesus gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists. Those who are gifted perhaps more particularly in, in being able to, um, uh, to present the gospel to people. And we all have to have a, a little bit of that in us. But the one thing that um, uh, Mary's father, I think her mother must have given this to me, something I read of his... Francis Mahaffey, uh, I've always found it really very helpful. He said, evangelism is not bringing people to Christ. That's what we think we've got to do. We've got to save them. We've got to get them to Christ. He said, evangelism is not bringing people to Christ. It is bringing Christ to the people. And I think that is a powerful uh, way to look at it. You and I can't control people's responses, but we can present them with the, the truth. And that's the minister's calling. It's the preacher's calling. He's got to present, he's got to bring Christ to the people with the prayer that God will change their hearts and have them embrace Christ. And then he concludes this, fulfill your ministry. <clears throat> Don't give up. Don't bail too quickly. Uh, there are going to be times when it's very difficult, but you need to finish your course. You need to accomplish what God has set out for you to do. The fourth element of our passage, the fourth C, is the conclusion of Paul's ministry. And we have in verse 6 and 7, I, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. 
there are, he describes the ending of his life in several ways. And I'm not going to have you turn to these passages, but I'll tell you where they are. Uh, the first phrase, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. Here he's using the imagery of the Old Testament sacrificial system where drink offerings are poured out in the worship of God, in the praise of God. And uh, Paul makes reference to this himself in Philippians 2.17. He says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. So he was willing to have his life poured out for the good of the people. And he's saying, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of the end has come. Uh, He says, the time has come for my departure. Again, he's using a metaphor for death, uh, that it's coming. Uh, Also in Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, he says, I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. So when he says, I, my, the time for my departure has come, he's anticipating that his life won't last a whole lot longer. We don't know how much longer, but he sees the end coming. Uh, he knows God will be with him. And then he says... Um, those three phrases in verse 7, all kind of the Christian metaphors for the warfare and the battle that we're in. I fought the good fight. He's in a warfare with the powers of darkness, and I've fought that good fight. He's not claiming anything for himself, obviously. He knows this is all God's help. I finished the race. I've run the race that God set out for me and I've come to the end of it. I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. And here the idea of faith, uh, as we've talked about it, faith can be, can be a subjective thing, our personal faith, or faith can refer to the body of doctrine that once for all delivered to the saints. And here I think he's probably reflecting on that. Uh, he kept a hold of the, the truth to the end. And so he's um, phrasing for Timothy. In the, in the next section, he's going to be urging Timothy to get there quickly. Uh, and you can see this is kind of building up to that. Um, my life is not going to last much longer, Timothy. Get here as soon as you can. So he's... It's the conclusion of Paul's ministry. And then the fifth C is the hope that he has, the crown of righteousness. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Uh, The crown of righteousness uh, there are there's some different discussions of what exactly that's referring to, but uh, I kind of side with those who describe it as it's the righteousness that uh, of his justif- justification that um, Christ gives him that he's received by faith, and that crown of righteousness, that reward, that award that Christ will give him 
is laid up for him. It's uh, in store for him when that Christ will award to him on that day, that day of his return kind of goes back to his appearing. But what's wonderful and encouraging about this crown of righteousness, it's not just Paul alone who gets this. And this is where the encouragement comes for, for us. The crown of righteousness will be given to him. The righteousness of Christ is once for all being cleansed of, of sin and, and declared righteous before God will be given not only to him, but to all who long for his Jesus appearing. And that word for longing is, uh, again, one of those really rich words because it has the, the word love in it. Uh, we're, we love the idea of his appearing. Uh, we love our Savior. We long to see him face to face. And the question for all of us Paul clearly longed for that. Do we long for his appearing? That doesn't mean you're ready to die tomorrow, but it means that you realize your ultimate hope is Christ and what he has laid up in store for you. And so for you to um, characterize your life, every bit of it, for the Lord is longing to see him. That that characteristic would be cultivated in your own life as you think about him and all that he has done for you. Uh, May we be those who long for his appearing and that crown of righteousness is ours, is in store, laid up in store for us as well. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you so much for these words of Paul to Timothy. We thank you for the help they are to us in thinking seriously about the preaching of the word and the character of those who would follow you and listen uh, to the word. And we ask, O Father, that you would please be at work in our hearts, uh, make us ready for the the appearing of Christ, make us uh, appropriately sober-minded, make us... uh, full of um, love for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, that we would experience the hope and the comfort and the strength of your grace in our lives as we live them day by day. Uh, Bless us as we embark on this new week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.